You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, the really, I, I think, well-known passages about the vine and the branch, John 15, 1 through 11, I think what I want to draw out most here is that our Lord Jesus used the most ordinary common things to convey deep gospel truths. And this is another place that he does it. Preceding this, though, and and you'll remember this, do you remember uh, it was the Feast of Tabernacles? And in the temple, the priests were pouring out this symbolic water to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus comes forward and cries out to all those watching, let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within him. He took something so common and brought the message of his salvation to himself. The very next day, the very next day, Jesus goes in front of the temple. And in front of the temple, they had these huge torches, like 30-foot big torches. And they were meant to represent the pillar of fire that guided the Israelites for 40 years through the wilderness, We call it the Shekinah glory. Well, Jesus stands up in front of these big pillars of, uh, or these, uh, there were torches lit, and he says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I mean, it's so perfect. Jesus saying, wait, wait, wait. I am the real Shekinah glory that leads God's people to God. He was taking everything, boiling it down and saying, it is me, the complete package, everything right here. Now, John 15, I know you guys know this very well, but is the illustration of the vine and the branches. And it, believe me, the, the, the spiritual significance or the theological teaching is deep, but he uses these plain things that everyone knew what was going on to convey it. Uh, when Jesus started talking about uh, this vineyard, the vine, there was not a person within earshot that did not immediately connect the vine or the vineyard with Israel. I mean, immediately, if you look in the Old Testament, the vineyard is referenced as the house of Israel. Really, the grapevine was the national seal for national Israel. In fact, if you look at a coin that was minted during the Maccabean period, there would be a vine or a vineyard imprinted on it. I think it'd be similar to Americans. Uh, We see the stars and stripes, and that's America. It represents nothing else but America, the stars and stripes. That was the vineyard to Israel. So they got this thing a mile away. So what I'd like to do, I'm gonna read John 15, verse one through 11, and as, and with the kids too, as I read this, picture in your mind, as Jesus says this, I think word pictures come to our mind. I think it's extremely helpful. So Lord, that's I I pray exactly that, that as we get into your word, the Holy Spirit would give us pictures. The Holy Spirit would engrave things on our heart, Lord, when, when we would leave, we would absolutely put them into practice. Now be with us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. John 15, 1 through 11, say this. 
I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Yes and amen. So notice verse one, it says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't reference this. I know a lot of you know this already, but, it, but it's worth uh, going over again. When Jesus says, I am the vine, this is the last of the seven great I am statements that our Lord proclaims through the book of John. When he says, I am, this is referencing back. Do you remember in Exodus 3, verse 14, when Moses is speaking to this burning bush, the bush is burning, it's not being consumed. He's speaking to God and God is giving Moses instruction on what he wants him, what he wants him to do with the people. And Moses thought, okay, I get it, but who should I say sent me? And God, basically, what's your name? And God says, I am that I am, or I am, I am. That is the name of God, that's the name of deity. So Jesus in the New Testament seven times claims that for himself. And these different I am statements that I'm gonna read in a second, they all portray a little different characteristic of Jesus. I know some of you take notes, some of you don't, but if you do have something, to, I'll give you these seven verses. And what I would suggest, sometime do your own study, go through them and see if you don't see the person of the Lord more clearly. The first one is in John 6, 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. Obviously, bread was a staple of life back then, even as it is now, but even more so back then. And there's a reference to the bread that came from heaven, the manna that came from heaven. Jesus saying, I sustain life, number one. Number two, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world, the light of the world which is dark. I am light. The world is dark. I am the light that lights the world. Number three, John 10, seven. I am the gate for the sheep. So you know in scripture, sometimes believers or followers of Christ are referred to as sheep. Jesus saying, I am the doorway, I'm the gate. I'm how the sheep get to God. John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. So not only is Jesus the gate, but he's the shepherd that will lead us to God. These are strict I am statements. John eleven twenty five 25, very obvious, but it is what it, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Jesus just saying it as it is. I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, the only way, the truth, the only truth, the life, and the only life. And then finally here in John 15, I am the true vine. Now, why does Jesus say, I am the true vine? Remember I mentioned that Israel was referenced as the vine, but Jesus is the fulfillment of what Israel should have been. Israel turned their back on God numerous, numerous times. So Jesus saying, I am the true vine, given a picture of what Israel should have been, and that is obedient to God in everything. So let's look at these first two verses. And again, when Jesus takes these ordinary things and see if you don't see the spiritual significance. Let me just read two and three, verse two and three, to refresh our memories. It says, he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So look at this picture. Christ is the vine or, or the trunk of the plant, of the grape plant. We are the branches coming out of the vine and the father is this gardener, God the father, this gardener. So look at this picture of this vineyard growing, blossoming. And you have God the Father lovingly walking around the vines, caring for them, pruning them, doing what needs to be done. Why? So they can bear more fruit. That's exactly why. So what's the emphasis here? I think it's obvious. The emphasis is on bearing fruit. And also, don't miss this, bearing fruit for a Christian is your identifier or the identifying mark that you are a true follower of Christ, bearing fruit. The text says that he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. See, a lot of people will claim that they're a follower of Christ or that they are part of this vine, but the fact that they are not bearing fruit disqualifies them. I don't know how else to say it. See, a thistle can't produce a grape. And a grapevine does not struggle to produce that grape. No, why does it produce that grape? Because it's natural, it is attached to the vine. It is a natural byproduct of what that vine is producing the fruit at the end of the branch. We should look at our own lives. We should look at our own lives. Um, and are we bearing fruit? And I think of myself first, and sometimes when I'm studying, it's like, man, oh man, the weight gets intense, but it's good because the Holy Spirit always comes through. But I want us to think of this. Let's look at our own lives. Are we bearing fruit? And I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I immediately think of, okay, how many people have I led to the Lord? Uh, how many Bible passages do I have memorized? You know, am I chatting up people out in the public talking about the Lord at the checkout line? You know, I think about all these things. How many Bible studies am I attending? And I think, listen, listen, I think these things are good, but I believe they are a result of fruit, not the fruit. I believe they are a result of the fruit and not the fruit. And here in John 15, I don't think our Lord is talking about evangelism or those things I just mentioned. I, I really don't. You see, 
I think the key here is the reproduction of the life of the vine, which is Jesus, in the branch, which is us. The reproduction of the life of the vine, which is Jesus, in us. Jesus is looking for his life in us. Very simply, he's looking for his life in us. So let's break it down real pragmatically. What nourishes the branch? It is the life-giving sap that comes from the vine. That's what nourishes the branch and it produces fruit. That's the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. Um, and you see, and, and, and let me use this as a reference. The scripture is so very, very clear about the fruit of the Spirit, is it? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a sap. That will be the fruit that our life produces. And, and again, I'm not up here speaking as if I've got this wired. It's not as if we have those nine pieces of fruit perfected in our life. Not at all. In fact, I don't think that happens this side of heaven. What I'm saying, is that what we're aiming for? Do we see just a little bit of growth in those areas? That is fruit. And actually, guys, I think that's a tougher test than the uh, physical pragmatic, how many people am I witnessing to, how many verses? It's actually tougher. I, I think it says a lot more than you know, souls saved or people influenced or money collected, you know, what, whatever we tend to go by, that other fruit is the real deal and it's much tougher. But can I say this? If that inward fruit is present, there will be the outward fruit that I mentioned. It's a symbiotic relationship. Now here's where the last part of verse two comes into play. Listen to what it says. Every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that, will be, so that it will be even more fruitful. So this doesn't make sense. So every branch that is doing well, that is conveying the life of Christ, gets the knife. It's like, wait, what? That sounds counterintuitive. But I'll say this, it's quite accurate, both horticulturally and spiritually. We need pruning. Uh, let me use this real-life illustration, and this was new to me this season, but my wife and I love limes, absolutely love them. Use, them, use them on everything. We've had this lime tree in the front yard that's never produced very much. We thought we'd plant it, fertilize it, this thing would grow. Just didn't produce maybe a couple limes a year, something like this. And Robin says, hey, why don't you go cut some of the upper branches, thin out the lower branches, I go, okay, but it didn't make sense because these branches I cut, they were green and leafy, healthy, little shoots coming off them, but I did it, right? This is exactly what this tree needed. In early spring, like right now, I can go look, and for the first time, I see these little limes popping up at the end, a bunch of them, like so many, it's crazy. So by cutting off those branches, those little shoots and tendrils, it allows more life-giving sap, more sap, to go to what will become fruit. It works that way. See, but for the untrained eye, this looks maybe even cruel, wasteful. 
But for the trained eye, this is exactly what the tree needs to produce abundant fruit. Same is true for us. The same is true for us. But you might be asking, so uh, what's involved? What, what, what's involved in pruning? Can I say this? Usually pain. You, you, usually pain. It's true. Some of you guys know this. It's usually pain. Uh, at a minimum, let me say this. It's something that initially, and underline initially, will appear counterproductive. It will appear counterproductive. For example, and some of you guys out there are going to think I'm talking about you, but I promise I'm not talking about anyone in particular. But the Holy Spirit gave me this, so I'm going to say it. Say you're a guy out there, you're, you're married, you're a little younger in your faith, um, and, and you have faith in Christ and you're growing, okay? You're growing. You're involved in a Monday night men's Bible study. You're involved in a Tuesday midweek study. You and your wife were involved in the Thursday's couple study. And then on Sunday morning, you come to church, but because you're involved in a set up teardown church, you come early and set stuff up. You make coffee, you stay around. Now there's no two ways about it. You're growing in your knowledge of Christ, but you're exhausted and you're getting a little funky attitude. Yeah, I'm growing, but man, I'm tired all the time. And what the heck's going on? Can I tell you this? God will graciously extract you for one, from one or more of those midweek activities. Notice I didn't say Sunday morning. Sometimes he does, but not. But anyway, he will graciously extract you from a couple of those activities. This will allow you to rest. This will allow the Holy Spirit to energize you and produce fruit in the areas that you stay involved in. You know, and this is tough because when we're involved in all these things, man, we get pats on the back and people say, oh, look, look at all he or she's doing. Look at that. But God knows exactly what we need to grow. God knows. And can I say this, and I learned this the hard way, we can never wear busyness as a badge of honor. It's easy to do, but that yields no fruit. Never wear busyness as a badge of honor. There's other tools God will use to prune you. And I'll just say some are not fun. Some are not fun at all. In Psalm 119, verse 67, David says this, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your words. That word afflicted, I don't care how you break it out, go look in the Hebrew, that is reminiscent of nothing fun, good, or enjoyable. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. And just four verses later in verse 71, David says this, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. You can look at that any kind of way you want, but it says what it says. Sometimes, and honestly, sometimes the pain of pruning comes because of sin in our life. No two ways about it. But sometimes the pruning comes about because God wants us to bear more fruit. Whatever the case, no one naturally wants the knife. No one does. That's crazy. No one naturally wants this. But God always knows what will be beneficial for us. Some of us, and, and, and I can see quite a few of us out here, some of us that have been walking with the Lord for a number of years, we fall into this mindset that there will be a time when we won't struggle anymore, where God won't need to prune us anymore. 
See, affliction would only stop if it was useless. Affliction will only stop if it was useless. That's why affliction will never stop. It will never stop. As long as a vineyard is healthy and growing, it will need to be pruned. The bummer is when the vineyard dies, you don't need to prune it anymore. Pruning's a good thing. Pruning is a good thing. In the New Testament, I think uh, uh, the writer of James, uh, James himself, he, he knew this. He knew this. I think he articulated this well. I'm going to read you a passage. It's James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, and it's out of the Living Bible. And I don't use the Living Bible much, but I think, I think it's incredibly helpful here. Listen to what he says. This is good. Dear brothers and sisters, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy, for when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow, and don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in bloom, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. Yes and amen. When we're being pruned, and listen, dear friends, when we're being pruned, it's so important to remember God's hand is never closer than when he's pruning the vine. God's hand is never closer. His pruning may bring us pain and no two ways about it. He'll never harm us. Number two, we need to keep in mind that the branch does not produce fruit for itself. It's for others. The branch produces fruit for others. The life that has been carefully trimmed and care for by God, it sustains others and it brings glory to God. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. Verse four through five, and I'll, I'll get through this, we're, we're, we're moving now. Verse four through five say this, remain in me and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That is just so true. What does a remaining or abiding mean? What does that mean? And again, I'm gonna go back to if the Holy Spirit is the sap, which I think it is, it means being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is abiding or remaining, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And because this abiding or remaining, being filled in the Holy Spirit produces fruit, we must have that relationship Number one on our list, number one on our list. Verse five says we can do nothing. Nothing means nothing. We can do nothing apart from that. So let me differentiate that. The fact is we can do many things apart from Christ that are not bad things. Don't get me wrong. We can, uh, we can earn a living. We can raise a family. We can give money generously. We can do those things apart from Christ. What the text is saying is we cannot bear spiritual fruit without remaining in him. It's impossible. It's impossible. And spiritual fruit is the only fruit that honors God. And can I say this? Spiritual fruit is the only fruit that qualifies for rewards after this life in heaven. It's a double great thing. For here, honoring God, honoring people, blessing people, feeding people, and rewards after in heaven. I, I want that. And let me say this. 
This is why God doesn't shelter us from the tough stuff in life. This is why he doesn't. Why? Because he wants us to be real used to going and clinging to Jesus. Because when everything's all good, we have a way of just saying, ah, it's all good, yeah. But when times are tough, I don't know about you, but I cling to the Lord. This is why God lets us go through this. He wants that relationship with the Lord Jesus to be number one. In fact, I believe Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. So in a sense, remaining or abiding in Jesus, it, it involves this growing sense of our weakness and our abilities. It really does. It's this dual thing. We start to realize we have weakness if we're not in Christ, and we admit it, and it's actually a good thing. I think uh, Philippians 2, let me read Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. I think it's a perfect verse right here. It says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. As Christ gets greater in our life, we get weaker, but that's a good thing, but we're actually stronger. It is, it's amazing, but this is the direction that abiding, being filled with the Spirit will take you. Let me end with this, verse six through 11. It says, this. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love." just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So very simply, let me touch on a couple things. The text says that if we remain in him, we can ask whatever we wish in prayer. If we remain in him, plainly it says, ask whatever you wish. It's kind of been a stumbling block, I, I think, to some Christians as, as they're growing in Christ, but it is exactly true. But here's the deal. The Lord is describing what I call an empowered prayer life, an empowered prayer life. So as we remain in Christ, our prayers will naturally flow to God's will for us. We will be praying and wanting God's will for us in our life. And when this happens, you see, the Father always delights to give us his will, always. It's a done deal. So as our prayers are conformed to God's will, this is exactly what happens. It also says that it brings the Father glory that we bear much fruit. How does it do that? Fruit in a Christian life will draw others. It just will. It stands out in the world. It's like a neon light. Fruit will draw others, and it will point to the Father, which brings him glory. Also, I'll say this, I believe fruit is one of the most effective tools in witnessing. When you're bearing fruit, it's this unspoken power and truth to your word. So it does bring the Father glory. And the last two verses emphasize love and joy. 
Can I say this? It's both love and joy from the Father to us and us to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ by way of the Holy Spirit. And it's something that cannot be taken away. And this is my dear sister before service. She was praying over me and talking about everything going on in the world and how we do need to stay together, pray. But she's basically saying, hey, I know how this thing ends. We've got this. We have the power of Christ. That's what it's talking about. It's saying that there's this unspeakable joy when we follow Christ that cannot be taken away by the world. I don't care how much news you're watching. It cannot be taken away. In fact, remember what Peter said? Peter called it joy unspeakable. Unspeakable, not because we couldn't say it, because there's no words to cover it. If you understand that, no words to cover it. We know how the story ends. We really do. Um, so let me end with this. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And the Father is this loving gardener. Everything that Jesus and the Father, through the Holy Spirit, everything they do in our life is to enhance our relationship toward bearing fruit. Everything they do in our lives. With each trimming, here's what I pray, because we'll get trimmed. With each trimming, I pray there's more Christ in us for God's glory and the blessings of others, very simply. So Lord, I, I do pray, even as some of us might be going through trimming now, and if we're not, we, we're about to go through some sort of trimming, would you remind us that your hand is never closer than when that is going on and that you lovingly hold us, care for us and provide for us. And Lord, we know that as years pass, we will look back and we will thank you. So in advance, Lord God, I thank you for the trimming. And Lord, I, I do thank you for the fact that that joy is unquenchable. Lord God, the darkness of the world cannot blot out that light. So as we go out, Lord, let us bring that joy unspeakable to a dark world. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.